Our scripture this morning is Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 31. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went on to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, way folks. July 4th weekend already. Half the year, this year, seems strangely long, doesn't it? It does. Glad to have you here this morning. Those online far away, those online who geographically are pretty near each other as well. This morning, uh, we're looking at what is commonly called the Lord's Supper, that last supper with Jesus. And to preface that... Um, we've got to talk about how weird and strange and difficult Christianity is. Like, there have been other young 30-something people who have died uh, as martyrs for a cause. Or their death has been co-opted by a cause or a movement. But there, in my recollection, there's just not many deaths of 30-somethings that have been the central symbol to start a religion. Uh, We have all these massive cathedrals, icons, all across America. There, There are steeples splitting the sky with the symbol of the cross. Inspirational for all sorts of jewelry, all sorts of cross jewelry. And it's kind of strange because that cross is kind of proclaiming, yay, uh, a gory, bloody, humiliating, naked death. Um, We have this symbol, the cross, that that is really a not-safe-for-work execution. And it's the death of a guy who who comes from the backwaters of really an obscure province in an obscure country. Um, The religious leaders of his very own sect uh, don't endorse him. They condemn him. Uh, the state, so the largest superpower at the time, thought it would be better that he be executed. Uh, crowdsourced popular opinion, which you don't want to underestimate, um, actually didn't think much of this obscure backwater rabbi uh, much either. They didn't think much of him either. In fact, um, they would rather have someone released from San Quentin or Folsom uh, uh, than let this obscure country rabbi go. 
Okay, so he's this obscure country rabbi. He is executed. He's hanging naked. And except for a few family and friends, everyone goes home, and they think to themselves, uh, that was probably the right thing to do. Tough but fair. Tough but fair. Um, so uh, I'm talking to you, uh, Angelinos, now. Um, you're, you have neighbors who are not Jesus people, Christ followers, Christians, and they, they really do see it this way. They think, um, they look at the cross, they look at the execution, the public naked, gory execution, and they say, who thinks, yes, I love that story. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That, that, that not safe for work YouTube video of the cross is so inspiring. Um, so, so where do we even start to unpack and understand why his not safe for work execution and death is so great? Um, because it is strange. It is weird. It pushes credulity to hear Christians say, um, wow, based on that gory, not safe for work, death. I'm going to follow that guy. Like, whatever he drops or releases, I'm buying it. Like, whatever he says, I'm going to follow it. Uh, uh, he's almost like this author, favorite author, commentary, uh, commentator, or cultural figure that they'll just like, yes, I, whatever he puts out, I'm, I'm going to take. So could you answer that this morning? Could could I answer that? Could you answer that? Um, why is this gory, not safe for work death now suddenly inspiring for jewelry? Uh, we're entering into the last chapters of Mark, uh, and it's the beginning of the end. And Jesus' death takes up the pages of the last chapters of Mark. And this is where Mark begins to slow down, either... Either he's really into the gore, or he thinks maybe this is the most important part. Do you think that? Now, this dinner that Jesus has with his friends goes a long way to explain that not-safe-for-work death. And this dinner that he has is going to be reenacted and passed down for centuries afterwards. This little dinner with his friends, this dinner is going to get referenced in Christianity every single week. Uh, so, so what in the world, what in the world did Jesus really say at that last dinner? Like he explains the gory death part, but, but what about it? So just three simple areas I just kind of want to unpack for us this morning is I want to look at the significance of that not safe for work death. Two, I want to explain the interpretation of Jesus's not safe for work death. And then I want to I want to look at briefly how can that how can Jesus's not safe for work death begin to change you and begin to change me? So let's look at the significance of Jesus' not-safe-for-work death. Um, what dinner are they eating? So it's Passover. And in, in verse 12 of Mark 14, uh, it just begins. It says, on the first day of unleavened bread, right, uh, the feast of the Passover, they're looking for a spot to eat. Now, not many of us 
have a background or an upbringing in Judaism. So I'm going to just give us a brief refresher. Okay, so Passover is like July 4th is for Americans. It is it's our Liberation Day, and our own July 4th has its own backstory and its own icons, its own symbols, its own traditions, and it commemorates it commemorates a huge pivot and change in America's history. So Passover is the same way. It's looked to as their Liberation Day. It is at the the central point, the p- central pivot and change in Israel's history. So we got to do this. We got to. What's the backstory? So they were real slaves, like the Hebrews, the Israelites. They were really in slavery. They were owned and abused. And I, I think thousands of years can maybe romanticize this for us, but. They have experienced every horror of being owned by another human being. It's the disintegration of the family. It's rape, beating, cruelty, malnourishment, no rights. And God says this. He says, okay, no more of it. Like I'm stopping it. I'm going to pull you out of that dehumanizing situation. I'm going to free you from that this is a so Passover is a liberation commemoration and Passover remembers back uh, to that point and they bake it into a family meal and the biggest thing that they're going to remember about their history is the Passover so in this dinner you get you get four glasses of wine in this dinner you would not hate this meal and there's an MC for the meal all right. Usually it's dad. Usually it's the patriarch, or he gives some of the parts of the uh, of the presiding or the explaining to his kids. And there's this script that you say before and after the next glass of wine. So in Mark 14, we enter the scene at the third glass of wine, and this is after the singing of of. Um, the Hallel Psalms, it's Psalms 113 and 118, and all these Psalms are just praising Yahweh for deliverance. Thank you for the deliverance. Thank you for the deliverance. Thank you are the deliverer. You save. You pull out. Um, they're the Hallel Psalms. And verse 22 begins the third part of the Passover, and it's when the roasted lamb is eaten. So the script says you should do this. You, you, you should bless the various parts of the meal and then and then explain why those specific parts of the meal are in the Seder meal. And the MC is supposed to explain what the parts mean. He's supposed to go to uh, Deuteronomy 26 or he's supposed to go to uh, Exodus 12 and he's supposed to talk about the bread and the herbs and the lamb. And it starts out this. There's a familiar script, right? It says, right? This is the bread of affliction, which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Right? This is the bread of affliction. So, so, so get this scene. Jesus is the MC of this scene. And he begins to bless the various parts of, of, of the meal. And then he does something that goes off script and, and he says this 
what you're about to eat, it's the bread of my suffering, my affliction. Wait, 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 what? Okay, say that part again. Um, Jesus is saying this like, okay, um, you know that liberation, the Passover, um, th that was a great liberation, but he's saying now, he's saying something, he's saying, I am the ultimate, ultimate liberation. Just like, you know that Egyptian liberation? I'm the liberation of everything that needs liberation. All the other miniature liberations are now pointing to me as the liberation of all time. So Jesus is saying this, my death is going to be the single most important event in human history, just like the Passover seemed like to be the most important event in your history. All human history is going to point to me. So what is the significance about Jesus' not safe for work, execution, and death. He says this at his last dinner. He says, it's the most important thing that has ever happened. So today, this morning, fresh off of July 4th, uh, I've got to tell you this, is that America's July 4th is a puny, miniature, insignificant liberation commemoration compared to this one. That's what Jesus is saying, the significance. It's most important. Okay, so it's very significant, but now let's do this. Let's look at the interpretation of Jesus's not safe for work death. Uh, there's this interesting point, I, I think it's an interesting point, is that Jesus didn't really have a class for his friends or 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 he didn't give them a book or or, or uh, a Kindle digital code uh, for how they need to understand the meaning of the most important event ever uh, no he has a meal it's not a class it's a meal so Israel is in real slavery humans owning other human situation and God looks and he says, okay, I see injustice. I'm going to bring my justice to Egypt. I'm bringing it. I'm going to bring my justice to Egypt. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to bring the justice of God for one night only. And, we, and you, can, you can read this, uh, Exodus 11, Exodus 12, Exodus 13. Now, does he say this? I'm going to laser target my justice on just your oppressors. Like I have special Egypt justice. No. No. God's justice is equitable. That means this. God's justice is for all of his creation. So we touched on this conundrum last week. If I want real justice for George Floyd, it is to want that same justice over my life as well. Like, selective justice is not justice. Uh, it's just another injustice. So, so, 
here's the point, is we can't escape justice if we really want everyone to have it. We ourselves can't escape it. So, so to get the humanity, like our, the people around us, our neighbors, the world, right? Humanity is not split into two camps. Like we've got good people over here and bad people over here. No, it's not. We're all participating. We're all contributing to what makes systems and organizations and governments and institutions and countries and communities and neighborhoods. We're all participating into what makes them broken in the first place. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what race you are when it comes to justice. Everybody, everybody should have justice. If you love equity, if, if you are, if you are progressively fair in all of your thinking, uh, uh, this is very, this is very progressive of God, right? Thank you for making justice available to everyone, the Egyptians and what? The Israelites. So the only way you survive this one night of God's justice, the only way you survive is you kill a lamb, you, you, you take some, you make a brush out of hyssop, you put it over your doorposts, and, and, uh, and you eat the lamb. All right, now, when justice that night flies into your neighborhood, only those who are under the blood of the lamb are going to be preserved. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much, uh, money you make. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't matter how, like how many languages you know. Um, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter, uh, if you're really conscientious and you just refuse to do all the naughty things that other people are doing. Doesn't matter. That's not your hope. Right? Your faith is in a substitute other than yourself, not you, but something else. So two things that night of the Passover, two things were going to be dead in a household. There was going to be a dead son or there was going to be a dead lamb. No exceptions, like none, not one. There wasn't a special clause or a loophole or an excuse. Um, Justice comes down on you or it comes down on the substitute. Justice comes down on you or justice comes down on a substitute. There's no other way. So your Angelino neighbor has a question. Maybe you have this question too. Um, there's a question that just remains out there. It is this? Is so? Why does killing a farm animal get me some moral pass for all my sins? Here, here's the short answer. You're right. It, it really, it actually really doesn't. It, it really can't, it really can't cover moral failings, not fully. You're right. Let's go back to the last dinner with his friends. Jesus gets up to bless the food. It's very weird because there's only bread and wine. None of the Gospels mention the main course. You've got to have a lamb. Uh, duh. That's like Passover 101. Duh. That's the best part. You know the lamb, the roasted crust? Garlic and rosemary and all the herbs, and it gets it gets that beautiful crust, and, and, and you eat it. 
there's there's no lamb. Um, the lamb is not on the table. Uh, there's no lamb on the table because the lamb is at the table. Now, anything before March 2020 is probably blurry in our memory. Uh, but do you remember when we looked at Mark 1, and in that section of Mark 1, it, 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 it shows John the Baptist, and, and Jesus, and he's out in the desert, and Jesus is going to go out to see John the Baptist, and John the Baptist sees him coming, and he says this, he says, uh, behold, so look, check that out, behold, behold, because I see that guy coming, um, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why would John the Baptist call Jesus a farm animal? Also kind of weird. Uh, behold, my friend Darren Keita, the rooster of our community. Like, why does John the Baptist go farm animal for 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 Jesus? It is weird, except that Isaiah says it too in Isaiah 53. Now, if you remember our modern plague series, uh, uh, probably now these days a little uncomfortably titled, um, from Isaiah 53 there's a familiar passage we went back to time and time again. And it's talking about, Isaiah's writing this, and he's talking about Jesus, and he says, um, he was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shears are silent. So he opened not his mouth a few verses before, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul made an offering for our guilt. So, So this is what Isaiah gets. Isaiah gets that a farm animal can never be a substitute for the moral failures of a person. Only a person can do that. Um, This is what Jesus says in verse 24 and 25 of, of Mark 14. He says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. So what happens? This is the interpretation. Jesus is the substitute sacrificial love. And he's just saying, I'm the lamb. I'm the lamb. Now, here's another question for us. Why do we need, why do we need to spill blood here? Like, why do we need all this not safe for work gore? Like, how come God can't just love us? Uh, is, is, uh, Is this some nod to some, like, ancient primitive deity that says bring me blood appease me with blood no, no, like like is that what's going on here um no and, and let me show you all, all, all love if you've lived a while i think i think you start getting an inkling of this all real love all real life changing love is sacrificial substitutionary love. Now, now, uh, this is how you can know this on a very uh, 
personal or experiential level. So uh, have you ever met a person uh, who is so wounded, so broken, so needy, and they haven't yet learned to disguise that neediness from other people. They haven't learned the slickness that maybe we've learned. And they are clean, and they demand a lot, and and they drain, and they suck energy away from you as a person. Uh, I think you have met some people like that. And when they come walking towards you or they email you or they call you or they try to be around you, what is your internal impulse? Well, okay, I need I need an escape route. I need to leave. I, I don't want to be in their bubble. Uh, I, I need to avoid this kind of draining and, and neediness. I, I, I need to get away from that. And, and these people are full of woundedness and um, they are empty of love and health and wholeness. They're empty of that. It's why, it's why they're looking for it. And the only way that they're going to get filled up with love and health and wholeness is if someone enters their bubble and talks to them and knows them and on some level assumes some of their crazy and their pain and their wounds and says, I am going to take an interest. I'm going to carry some of this. That's the only way they get they get they get healed. Uh, you've you've felt this maybe when you've started to be around a person of neediness and brokenness is that uh, over time it, it rubs off on you so much in a way where you think um, boy people are going to start thinking I'm that crazy I'm that wounded I'm that broken just by identifying with a person of brokenness but you can know something that wounded person will never get their fill unless someone gets drained of their love. See, all muscular love, all real love, all the love that can um, do anything is sacrifice. It is substitute. So on the cross, you don't have a bloodthirsty God. You have a person who takes the transfer of woundedness and neediness and brokenness and failure so that what you're filled up with the love you never had to earn or dance for. John the Baptist says that, behold, behold, check it out. See, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Leads us to our, a third and final thought is how, okay, how... You told me the significance, right, of Jesus is not safe for work death. You told me how um, the interpretation, what it means that he is the Lamb of God um, who, who takes on that. But how, how does Jesus' not safe for work 
death, how does that begin to change you? How does it begin to change me? How? Uh, so I will say this. It begins to change you when the truth of it begins to be pressed into your heart, mind, and soul over and over and over. And that's what the Lord's dinner is all about. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. Some people call it the Eucharist. Some people call it the meal of Jesus. Uh, when this begins to get pressed into you, it, it, it highlights, and I'm just going to give you three, it highlights three things, like the, our reliance on him, um, that we do it in community, and we have a forward-looking hope. So I, I just want to touch on that briefly, is the reliance aspect of Jesus' meal. It, if you grew up in the church, you have heard Jesus's dinner words pretty frequently. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So when you hear something a lot, you can actually stop hearing it. When we first moved to San Gabriel Valley in South Pasadena, um, we heard the cacophony of the SGV parrots. Um, and we were, when we first heard them, we were like, what is that? Like, that must be a strange, aberrant flock that is not normal. We heard it. Um, now... We really don't hear the parrots. But we hear them all over again when someone visits us and they say, what is that sound? What What is that going on? We say, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's the parrots. That's the parrots. Um, and so I think when we've heard Jesus' words at the last dinner, we've heard it so many times, we may have stopped hearing it. So we've heard this, I won't drink this again until I get this done. Uh, what Jesus has said is in a cultural, an old cultural phrase that is like a promise. It's like, it's like an oath. Um, some people have called it a blood oath. And he's, what he's saying is, he's, I'm, I'm about to do this thing if it kills me. Like, I am going to totally do what I just said I was going to do, or I'm going to die. It's a cultural phrase, like, like uh, you know, pinky swear or whatever, if you're in junior high. It's a blood oath. It's a, it's a blood oath of loyalty. And, and what it's saying is, um, uh, the condition of you being blessed is based on my performance of it, and I'm going to die doing it. So, in the Last Supper... He's talking about this relationship. It's going to be my blood, not your blood. I'm going to get you home, and I'm dying to do this thing for you. All right. Then he talks to his friends, uh, the disciples, right? And he says, hey, uh, now you guys, uh, you guys are going to break the oath. You're going to 
break loyalty, all of you are going to bail on me. You're going to deny me. You're going to you're going to mess up. In fact, you're not going to fulfill any part of the agreement and covenant. Uh, so, what does Peter do when Peter hears this? It's what we do. He tries to take the oath too. <laughs> I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise, Jesus. I won't fail you. I promise, even if I die, I totally will not. And Jesus says, um, no, not really. But verse 28, but I will pick you up on my way to Galilee. Uh, you will be disloyal, but I'm going to pick you up. Because I'm telling you, this dinner, what I've been saying to you is, salvation is about my commitment to you. It is not about your commitment to me. It's not the performance of you. Now, this morning, do you believe that? It's not the performance of you? Now, I would... You, you could probably say, yeah, I, I believe that here. But I know you don't believe it. Because we don't live like that. I don't believe it. Um, we're always going back to the burden of earning it, earning it, earning it. Um, the Lord's Supper is is this, is meant to press this idea into our head and our heart over and over and over again. Oh, it's about my reliance on him performing for me. It's not myself, silly. It's not It's not my performance. It's his performance. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot about that this last week. Again, sorry about that. See, if this was pressed into our hearts and mind, this is why we need something like this with regularity. Um, if, if it was pressed in, we would relax. We'd laugh again. You would start extending breaks and kindnesses, what we call grace, to other people. You wouldn't be so uptight. You wouldn't be so anxious. You wouldn't be so frenetic. You wouldn't be so hurried. Do you get that? No, you don't. I don't either, by the way. How do I know? I, 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 my heart is up and my heart is down based on the latest assessment. My heart is up, my heart is down based on the money that I have. My heart is up, my heart is down based on my friendships or my career advancement. See, see, this is the beautiful thing about the Lord's dinner, is it's meant to press that into our hearts over and over and over again. Hey, that, that's the food my heart needs, is that, oh, it's your performance, not mine. It's your perf You are more committed to me than I am to you. In fact, it's about your commitment, not my commitment. Um, uh, the second thing that the Lord's Supper does is, and this one's really, really brief, but it, it has to be done together. It has to be done in community. So in, in, in a Passover meal, families uh, did or had a Passover meal. 
So why is, if that's true, why is Jesus pulling them out of their respective families to have this Passover meal? This is why. If you believe in the death of Jesus, it is so transforming that everybody that believes in this, there is a unity there that is greater than anything else. It is greater than race. It is greater than experience. It is greater than culture or nationality. Our our community is evidence of that. Um, I think a brighter guy, this guy D.A. Carson, fantastic scholar, um, he said it this way, and I'm going to quote this. It's a, I mean, I'll read it out loud. So he says, the church itself is not made up of natural, quote-unquote, friends. It's actually made of natural enemies. And he goes on to write, he says, what binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural coalition, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself. They commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, I love this next phrase of D.A. Carson. He says this, in this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. We do this in community. And oh, it is unifying. The Lord's dinner is unifying. It gives us reliance on him. It is unifying. But then there's one more. And it gives us a forward-looking hope. Uh, What we do together, uh, what we have in common together, when we eat and worship together, when we know each other and love each other in that deep, sacrificial, substitutionary way. What we do together in the Lord's Supper is really the hors d'oeuvre or the appetizer. Um, no, better yet. I think what we do, it's it's the bag fries. It's the bag fries of our spiritual journey. What are bag fries? You guys know it. You go to Shake Shack you go to the, uh, what is it, Crack Shack or McDonald's, right? There are, or, or in and out there are bag fries. Bag fries are what's at the bottom, and they almost seem like bonus fries, but they're not the full thing. They're just the bonus side ones that give you a preview of what you're going to have when you get home. Um, the Lord's Supper is the bag fries for what we will expect and look forward to later. It's the little tastes of what uh, the fuller, the better eternal meal. Because Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to get you home. I am more committed to getting you home and getting you there to the full meal. Uh, wherever, you're at, wherever you are right now, this morning, right? Where, however you feel, 
about your own progress or your lack of progress. However, however dark it seems, however wounded you seem, there's no way I'm going to get rid of all this stuff. However broken you are, however messed up, uh, Jesus says, yeah, um, I got it. Um, you're going to be eating with me on the last day. I'm going to promise my life on it. I am more committed to you than you are committed to me. I'm bringing you home for the full meal. It gives us a forward-looking hope. This Lord's Supper, this last dinner, what? Reliance on Him? Right? A forward-looking hope. Right? And it's done in community. I, I, You know, I imagined when I was preparing for this sermon, I imagined that we would enjoy the Lord's dinner together. So, I have two things here. I have a sadness that we can't worship together and enjoy this. That's true. More so than ever in my life am I looking forward to being around my friends. So, I'm sad. I have real sadness about that. I mean, I'm not crying. Surprise, surprise. But I have real sadness about that. Number two. I have such an expectant hope for when we will do it. Would you pray with me? O Lamb, O Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Would you press your sacrificial and substitutionary love into my heart and the hearts of our friends so that we give it to our friends and neighbors as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.